Amen. Thank you, band. Good morning, church. My name is Travis Bond. I serve as senior pastor, and I do not sleep before I teach or speak to large groups. I've mentioned this to you before. Saturday nights, I just don't sleep. It's a thing. It's okay. Sabbath nap is a religious event in my household, and I treasure it. However, this week, I also had the privilege of teaching to our uh, men up in New Hampshire on Saturday morning, which means I also don't, didn't uh, sleep one bit on Friday night. So two nights, no sleeping, and I want you to know I am as jazzed as I have ever been. <laughs> That, that could just be the caffeine and the Red Bull talking, honestly. But I think I'm jazzed because the men's retreat, man, I, I spoke with a lot of you who have been here a lot longer than I have, and you're saying to me this was the best retreat we ever had. I know certainly for me, the, the six and a half years I've been here, hands down, uh, this was the most personally convicting, fulfilling, um, wonderful weekend. So I want to give a big personal thank you to the men's ministry leadership team. They did an outstanding job. And I also want to say thank you to you wives. Uh, Many of you with little ones at home, uh, most all of you presumably like miss your husbands when they go away, but you are the ones who enabled us to take a weekend and just be guys Uh, a couple hours away together, and that was invaluable. The theme of our weekend, ladies, was following Christ, leading families. And so our prayer and our hope, and uh, maybe you can check us on this, is that we're coming back men who are very committed to serving our wives and serving our kids with renewed vigor. So now we're turning from the topic of the weekend, Christ-like leadership to the not unrelated topic coming out of our study in Acts this morning is not unrelated, the topic of fear. Are you often afraid, men? Or how about you ladies? Frequently anxious or worrisome? If so, it could be that you suffer from porphyrophobia. That is a fear of the color purple. (laughs) And the choir was dressed in plenty of it this morning. Or perhaps you suffer from chatophobia. That is a fear of hairy people. (laughs) In which case you might want to avoid Italian men. (laughs) The North End is not for you, people. There is thalassophobia. This is a fear of being seated, especially if you're over six feet tall and you're in these pews. Odontophobia, that's a fear of teeth. (laughs) Palatophobia, this is a fear of baldness or balding people. (laughs) And finally, phobophobia, which is a fear of, can you guess? Obviously, there's all kinds of things to be afraid of. Um, Along those lines, then, I want to ask you to open up your Bibles and open up to Book of Acts, chapter 18, this morning. Book of Acts, chapter 18. And while you're finding that, um, also bring up in your mind's eye, Google Earth, zoom in on Greek Peninsula. 
that's where we are now. If you've been with us, you know we're in the midst of Paul's second missionary journey. He's uh, crossed the water there. We're now in Greece. Um, Last week, we were in the pagan, hyper-intellectual city of Athens. We're leaving that. We're going 60 miles from your perspective west to the um, pagan, hyper-sexual city of Corinth. Uh, You can kind of get lost among a bunch of names in a fairly small text this week. So in addition to the name Paul, here's the four that I want you to pay attention to. Priscilla and Aquila. That's a husband-wife team. They're just guest stars this week, but you'll want to know them because we're going to get back to them in future weeks. And then uh, number three, Crispus. That's the leader of the local synagogue there in Corinth. And then finally, Sosthenes. That's the replacement leader of the local synagogue there in Corinth. So many of you are familiar, you've, you've at least heard of 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Well, um, this is how that Corinthian church, that those letters that Paul wrote, that the, they went to, this is how that church got started. And it was with a fair amount of fear and a great need for faith. So Acts 18, our emphasis this morning is going to be verse 9, but we'll be reading from verse 1 here now, the very word of the Lord. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. 
Thus ends the reading of God's word. So three point headers for this morning. Um, you're welcome to use these if you, you like some handholds as we move through the text. The fears that we face, the action that we take, and the presence we enjoy. So first one, the fears that we face. And so I want to ask you again here, are you often afraid? Many of us fear for our marriages, fear for our money, we fear for our job, we fear for our kids. I don't think I will ever forget the first time my now 12-year-old, my little girl, Lainey, the first time she was ever really sick. She was our first, and she was just 29 days old. High fever, pretty high fever. And the pediatrician, she held my gaze, and she said, I want you to get her down to Children's Hospital right away. And then she put her hand on my shoulder, and she said, I wouldn't make too many stops along the way. I thought, man, like, I'm... I'm 39 years old now, not 40, I'm 39, still a young man (laughs) for 3.5 weeks. I'm 39 years old now. I'm raising four girls. Doctor says that to me, I'm going to be very nervous. Well, I was a lot younger and I had one little girl, 29 days old. Doctor said that to me and I'm thinking, ah, got down to children's. Um, ER, initial test, sir, we're concerned about possible meningitis. We're going to need to do the spinal tap. And some of you have been through this, right? Brand new parents, month-old daughter. I mean, the, the contents of my daughter's diaper was part of my prayer life, right? And now I'm looking at her shivering there on the exam table, and the intern is taking her from behind her, the back of her neck, and her behind her knees, and he's bending her into a U-shape, and she is just wailing as they expose the base of the spine there so they can get a clean tap, and I am just freaking out. My little girl is screaming. She's terrified. She's in pain. 36 hours later, clean bill of health. All's well. But I didn't know that then. And so you you got to believe me when I tell you that there in the exam room, as I held her little hand, and I figuratively held all of these fears and these worries, and my mind just racing about what could be, I had to very consciously set my eyes on the one who holds all things in the palm of his hand. The God who says, verse 9 of our text Do not be afraid. And then I wonder, how much fear did Paul experience in Corinth? I know he was afraid. I know he was, because he says so. Um, If you were to turn to uh, his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2, Paul says to him, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence, eloquence or superior wisdom, I came to you in weakness and, do you know, fear and with much trembling. For good reason. See, the city of Corinth 
Whew. I mean, there, it was a city. So a uh, 1,900-foot mountain dominated the skyline. Big uh, temple on the top of that it capped the mountain. The temple to Aphrodite and the way of worship there was all wrapped around sexuality. At its height, this temple had, uh, so it was considered one of the great wonders of the world. And at one time it had 10,000, yes, I did mean to say 10,000 temple prostitutes. That was the top of the mountain, like on the edge of the city. Inside the city is the temple of Apollo, also glorified sex, but focused more on homosexual love. Nude statues, ceremonies, they enticed and encouraged men to worship in relationship with young boys who were provided there. In the theaters in the city, plays were a heathen ceremony. The stories were gods and goddesses. The performances were salacious. Intercourse on stage was rather common. This city, I mean, it is like, it's Vegas, maybe Vegas plus, right? What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. And I'm giving you a couple details here, not just to get your attention, but because I want you to be amazed that this is the spot that God said, yeah, that's where I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell are not going to prevail against her. That's where I'm going to do it. In perhaps the most licentious city known to the ancient world, the kingdom of God touches down. And it takes root. I suspect few of us have ever felt the force of verse 6 in your text there. Where because of our Christian witness we are violently opposed or reviled. If you're reading from the NIV I think it says abused. But we have fears too. It's a different culture thankfully. But we have fears too that hold us back from living on mission wherever we are, right? We have fears that acting ethically, Christianly, may cost us a friendship or a job. Fears that we might not be safe, that things might not all turn out all right after all. And then I think, just within our own church family and just this calendar year. We've had cancer. We've had job loss. We've had some sudden and unexpected deaths that we were not able to prepare for. Some of you sitting right here have endured this calendar year, the loss of a parent, the loss of a spouse, miscarriages, Hurting marriages, hurting children, numerous hospitalizations. That's just the stuff that I know about and that I can say publicly. And all of that against a backdrop of a nation roiled with racism. So I want to see today the command of our Lord to his servant Paul. Verse 9, do not be afraid. Do you know your Bible says that 75 times? And it says, do not fear another 57 times? This is one instance. Do not be afraid, but go on speaking 
and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people, and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So in response to the fears that we face, can you see in these verses, second header, the action that we take. The action that we take. God says, do not be afraid. Are you afraid? Here's the answer. Stop being afraid. Stop it. (laughs) Don't be afraid. Someone says, man, Trev, I hope you got something more than that. Well, a little bit. The verse continues, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. During his years as uh, premier of the Soviet Union, Nikita Khrushchev, he often denounced the policies and the atrocities of his predecessor, uh, Joseph Stalin. Once, as he spoke against Stalin's memory in a public meeting, Khrushchev was interrupted in the midst of that by a heckler present there in the audience who said, hey, you were one of Stalin's colleagues. Why didn't you speak like this when he was alive? Khrushchev rose up and he roared. Who said that? And the room was silent. No one moved. Khrushchev sat back down and he quietly said, now you know why I didn't speak. In other words, when we are afraid, silence is often the easiest path. Yet God tells Paul, do not be afraid. Do not be silent. And so I want to ask, are are we willing, Medway Community Church, to continue living on mission, speaking into a culture, gospel truth, even if it places us in positions that are awkward or uncomfortable, or dare I say, even in 2016 America, a little bit risky? In a very hard city where his role was to proclaim truth, Paul was learning this truth. We need not fear if God is near. And that's, that's the theological reality that's handed to us in this text here. The, the, the omnipresence of God, which takes us to our third header, the presence that we enjoy. The presence that we enjoy. Uh, Robert Capon, he writes... We spend our lives invoking upon ourselves imagined necessities, creating God in the image of our own fears. And all the while, he is beating us over the head with the balloon of grace and the styrofoam baseball bat of vindicating judgment. Folks, if there's one preeminent truth in the scripture, it is the omnipresence of God who is a good and gracious God. Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not, what? For thou art 
Matthew 28, into the Great Commission, God sends out those disciples to go out into all the world, and I will be yeah, to the very end of Romans 8. Nothing, it says. It goes through the whole list. And it says, nothing can separate us yeah, from the love of God. This theology, it's woven through this morning's text that we need not fear if God is near. Um, back in verse 7, we see even as he left the synagogue because of their abuse, Paul went right next door. And listen, the, 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 the abuse here, you realize this was all a racial situation. Jews, Gentiles, Paul's going to the Gentiles and there's a strong reaction because of the, the Jew-Gentile history and what's required and not required to become a Christian and adopt all these ancient customs. And Paul, he gets kicked out of the synagogue. He goes right next door. How do you like that? In the face of opposition from the Jews, God provides a meeting place for this new baby church right next door to the synagogue. And then, if you can believe it, the synagogue that drove Paul out, the ruler of that synagogue, Crispus, professes Christ. That's verse 8. And then his whole family professes Christ. And now, this church plant in a hyper-pagan, hyper-sexual city is starting to grow by conversions. And God is building his church. You fast forward, and we we see that a new guy takes the place of Crispus, um, who no doubt had been ejected from the synagogue just like Paul had been because he had become a Christian now. And so this new guy is elected, and his name is Sosthenes. And things get really wacky and Paul's dragged before a tribunal and just before they have the whole thing, the judge kind of calls it off and then Sosthenes gets beat up by everybody. That's verse 17. And it's all kind of peculiar and not altogether noteworthy if you ask me, except for this. If you flip, if you keep a finger here and you flip forward to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is a letter written to this church a few, hour, a few uh, years after the fact. And here's what you read. 1 Corinthians verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Sosthenes. Beat up, washed up, rejected by his people, his career's in shambles, and now this guy is immortalized in the Word of God. Isn't that exactly (laughs) the kind of thing that we would expect God to do? That not only did God convert Crispus, the synagogue leader, but when Crispus is replaced by this other guy, God goes and saves him too. And now Sosthenes, down through the ages, we know his name. Because God saved him too. And that's the promise at the end of verse 10, right? God says, I have many in this city who are my people. What does that mean right there? Was there like a secret guerrilla church hiding in the alleys of Corinth at this point? Ready, just ready to rise? No, 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 no. This is talking about the church that isn't the church yet. God was saying, I have many people here that I'm going to redeem. Leon Morris, he's a commentator, he says it like this. They had not yet done anything about being saved. 
Many of them had not even heard the gospel, but they were God's. He would bring them to salvation in due course. Which means Priscilla, Aquila, Crispus, Sosthenes, and all the rest. These were God's people. God knew them before they knew him. And I wonder, is it really all that different in Medway? Or Franklin? Or Bellingham? Is it not true? Can we not have great confidence that God has many people in these cities? So can I say to you, my church family, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. Now, we can't simply take a, a verse like verse 10 and impute it directly to ourselves as if God is saying identical things to us today. Quote, nobody will ever attack you. Nobody will ever harm you. You're a bright church. We can't use the Bible like that, right? But there's truths here that transcend any text. And that simple verse 10 promise, I am with you. I mean, this is the truth that the Bible just pulsates with over and over. We read it as our confession of faith 25 minutes ago. Psalm 121. He is the shade on your right hand. In other words, God is right there and we're resting in his shadow. Friends, we need not fear if God is near. And this is the great truth of scripture. That by His Spirit, God is dwelling within us. God is with us, never forsaking us. I mean, I ask you, what on earth did that bloody Calvary cross mean? If not, child, you are mine. I have died for you. I have risen again to redeem you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So do not be afraid. I remember the night my sister called me. She said, dad's had a heart attack and he doesn't look good. I was 19 And I can remember, right, life kind of slows down, goes to slow-mo, and every image is now embedded in your brain in moments like this. And I can remember the rush um, down to the hospital. I can remember the tubes everywhere and how my father, who, like many of us, had always been like the strong, and he looked so puny, and he looked so weak. Um, I remember that they had to use the paddles on him nine times because he kept crashing and how in an instant all of the fears came crushing down. My mom has severe uh, mental health issues, had and has. Um, Although at that point I had made a profession of faith, my spiritual life was still chaos. And now the only stable thing in my life was dying in front of my eyes. Did it get much better when we realized 
he was going to survive? No. I used to worry all the time. How will dad go back to work? How will you care for my sister? Will I need to care for my sister? Do I need to leave college? What if dad has another attack? What if the doctors missed something? I would get upon my knees in my bedroom and I would, I would say to God, I cannot carry this burden upon my back anymore. So hey, God, it's yours. And pass it off to him. I had to learn a lot because of that and some other things at that point in my life. I had to learn a lot as a young man about casting my fear onto my Savior and then the discipline, right? Of 24 times every day not taking back upon my shoulders the very thing that I had just handed to God. Learning and relearning. I need not fear if God is near. There's a little children's chorus said the robin to the sparrow I should really like to know why those anxious human beings rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin oh I think that it must be they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Let's pray together. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my